Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. To the society around us, Paul uses the word wisdom very much, and he says one of his underlying themes is the wisdom of man is folly to God. And by the same token, the wisdom of God is sometimes foolishness to man. So it seems completely opposite. And so as we go into the third chapter here, I want to review a little bit, but I want to have some sympathy to them because a lot of what they're facing, we're facing similar. Not the same, but similar. And there's things we can learn by listening uh, listening to what Paul had to say to them. Now, what we're going to do is we always talk about the context. We always spend time thinking to whom this was written, why it was written, what was the occasion. It's one thing to say we believe the word of God is alive and powerful, and we give it allegiance. But part of living that out is looking at it and squeezing it for all it's worth. And so when we go to Corinthians, I want us to squeeze it, because God is speaking to you and to me. Remember the underlying theme last week was God is speaking to the man on the street, to the woman on the street. His message is to the everyday person. He wants to communicate with us, and when he communicates here, he's communicating to you and I. And when I say on the street, what I'm trying to do is paint a picture of people that are living everyday lives. We don't get to hide in the monastery. We're out there in the world where they're pushing back They're making fun. They're going exactly the opposite way that we are. And so Paul comes and he says, I love what he says. He said, let me just get this straight. Right from the get-go, God chose me to be an apostle and to declare his truth to you. And so what, what that meant to the Corinthians was, is that when I speak, it has the force and the weight of God Almighty. This is not a religious convention. What we're doing is we're trying to find out exactly what God is saying so that we have an accurate faith, so we're not putting our faith and our trust in something that will pass away. So in chapter 1, if we're going to summarize, we would say, Paul told the Corinthians, or he told us, he said, listen, if I came to Fresno or Clovis, I would conduct myself in such a way as to not draw attention to myself. Number one, it would be a good example to you so that as you live life and particularly as you live inside the church family, you're not looking for attention. You're not looking for kudos. You don't make your work in the church or in the body of Christ all about you. And so he made that very plain. But the most important thing, I think he said, I tried to stay in the background so that your confidence would not be in me. I want your confidence to be in the power of God. There's a side benefit to that. We didn't talk about it last week at all. 
But as we're living in the world, we're communicating Jesus Christ to other people, and sometimes we feel this tremendous pressure to communicate. And the reality is we communicate the best we can, but the power is in the truth of the gospel. So when we deliver the goods, we're not trying to make it happen. We're not trying to sweet-talk somebody into heaven. What we're doing is saying, this is Jesus Christ. He was killed for you and I. He was raised from the dead, witnessed by 500 people. Flavius Josephus, side note, Jewish historian for Rome, said he was, he said, witnessed by at least 500 500 people, this man did many miracles, if indeed you could call him a man. What a heritage. Then we went to chapter 2, and Paul ends chapter 2 with almost an outrageous statement. I want to keep this in mind, that these Corinthians are not super achievers. Okay, we kind of picked up on that. They're bickering with each other. They're saying, I like Paul. Well, I like Apollos. Apollos does a, a way better job, and he gets us out early. They were taking sides for no apparent reason. And what that does, it's really an evidence of personal pride. I want to identify with somebody and kind of build myself up. And plus that, it puts me in opposition to you. Diametrically opposed to the head of our body, who is Jesus. And so at the end of chapter 2, Paul says, You have the mind of Christ. Don't let that just fly over. Stop for a second. Is that an outrageous statement? Do you feel that? Paul is telling you and me, he's not talking to the spiritual great or the intellectual giants. He's saying you and I, living life on the street, have the mind of Christ. And I love the way he presented it because it's so logical. And just to break it down very shortly, number one, he said, who can understand what a man thinks unless you have the spirit of man? Okay, that's pretty good, isn't it? We can follow that. And he said, by the same token, by the same logic and thinking, nobody can understand the things of God except the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God not only understands the things of God, he goes way deep into the Spirit of God. He understands everything. And you, that's right, you, you have the mind of Christ. I said something else, and it bears repeating over and over again. When Paul writes to Corinthians, and therefore, by extension, writes to us, he's saying, here's the grace on which your faith is bound. Your faith is not bound up in your ability to perform. Because he opens up the letter to Corinth, and he would open up the letter to you, and and, and to I, and he would say, your faith is secure in Jesus Christ, you're not lacking in anything. When I call you to obedience and walking with Jesus Christ, I'm not calling you to qualify for your faith. It's so important that we understand that that has been taken care of, it's guaranteed, nobody's going to change it. So we're not spending any of our time or our energy wondering, where do I stand? Now, we accuse ourselves, the world accuses us, and our enemy accuses us. And certainly the Corinthians were accused. And so it's so important to say it to each other over and over again. Everything that God can be is wrapped up in Jesus. And it's in him that you've been made complete. 
We're not talking about any religious rhetoric. Keep in mind, forgive me, I'm going to do a little, I'll go into the weeds for just a little bit. Religion is man's attempt to control mankind using God as his authority. That's religion. You understand, Jesus came to break the bonds of religion, set us free so that we would have an immediate access to God the Father. Not going through, we're not going through the church, we're not going through the priest, we're going straight to the Father. And the entrance to the Father is Jesus himself. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament, when Jesus said, the disciples were asking him, and he said, it's okay, ask the Father. You can ask the Father yourself. He loves you. What a statement. It's so beautiful. He's introducing us to a relationship with the Father, the the God of all the universe. So that's our basis. That's our thinking. So let's go to chapter 3 and verse 1. And what I'd like to do is read it kind of like a section at a time. So we don't get uh, too far So let's start in verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? When you guys say, I follow Paul, and somebody else says, oh, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So at the end of chapter 2, Paul makes this outrageous statement, you have the mind of Christ. And in verse 1 of the next chapter, he says, brothers, you are the first demonstration the first known snowflakes. You guys can't take anything. You're snowflakes. It's kind of like, what about the mind of Christ? He says, yeah, you've got it, but you're snowflakes. I came to you and I gave you milk. There's nothing wrong with milk. The milk of the word is truth. And that's not a negative. What Paul is getting at, there should be some growth. You've heard this. I've said it myself. Everybody loves a 21-month old baby. Nobody likes a 21-year-old baby. It's pretty cumbersome. And so Paul's saying, you guys are still like little kids. You're quarreling among each other. That's the evidence that you're like little kids. So one of the things that uh, uh, the King James and some of the translations would say, you are carnal. That means you're not living by means of the Holy Spirit of God present in your life. You've chosen to go the opposite way and live by means of the world system. That's carnality. In the past, it almost seemed like carnality was a reasonable option. Okay, if you're a super achiever, you can check, I'm going to be spiritual box. But if you just want to get hidden in the masses, it's okay to be carnal. 
there was almost a certain kind of acceptance. Well, how are you doing? Well, I'm carnal. I'm not walking with Christ. I'm carnal. It was kind of like it's acceptable. Not acceptable. But there is a little bit of grace here in, in the first verse. Look at this. So he's telling them that they're snowflakes, but look at how he starts the sentence. Brothers. Tough, huh? Do you understand when Paul, the apostle, with the authority of God, calls you a brother? It means you are in Christ. And so he has tough things to say, but even when God tells us tough things as his children, he wraps it in gracious provision. I don't want to miss that. He said, we are brothers. Okay, you guys are in the family. Your behavior is not good, but you're in the family. Look at how he ends the verse. Infants, infants what? Infants in Christ. Their position in Christ has not been challenged by the mediocrity of their life. Their life, Because they're disobedient, their position in Jesus is not challenged. Paul says something similar, and somebody's mentioned this lately in the last few weeks. It's a famous Romans 12, 1 and 2 passage, where Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And then in verse 2, we usually land on the word metamorphomai to be transformed. But there's another word just before that that is just full of grace. And Paul says, and he would say it to these people, he'd say it to us, do not take on the outside an expression that's not representative of who you really are on the inside. In fact, the way he writes that verse in in chapter 12, verse 2, it says, stop taking on the outside a false impression of what's in the inside. In the inside, you've been reborn. Why are you living like the world? You're a fraud. That's no way to go. And so the importance of us, you and I, being serious about the fact of living by means of the Spirit. And so Paul's trying to take the Corinthians, who are filled with self, they have envy, they have pride, and he's trying to coax them along, he's trying to teach them into a spot where they live by means of the Spirit. And part of his gig is not to threaten to take the Spirit away. He reinforces who they are in Christ. starting in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we, in this particular case, Apollos and Paul, the two of us, are fellow workers under God. You are God's field, and we're working in the field. So once again, he's just...
He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive wages according to his labor. Then he goes on and he says, also now, according to, verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. So let each one take care how he builds upon it. For nobody can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is, of course, Jesus Christ himself. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, each one's work will become manifest or will be uncovered, will be displayed when that day discloses it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Okay, let's just back up for a second. Paul's just giving us two very practical illustrations of what it means to work in the body. First of all, it's like a garden. You got to plant it. You got to nurse it along. You got to make sure it has water. You have to fertilize it. Not all of that is very glamorous work. It's just constant, steady work. Different people do different things in the body of Christ. But here's the thing that I'd like to challenge you with is that the very fact that Paul's talking to us about working in the body of Christ, it means that you and I both have a responsibility to work in the family of God. Sometimes we go to sleep a little bit and we allow a certain kind of person to do the ministry because the ministry is defined within narrow boundaries. Paul's discussion with us And if we were to peek ahead a few chapters in chapter 12, he would say each one of you is gifted to complement the lives of people around you. That's the way God planned it. He wanted to bless people around you through your life. And he wants you to be blessed by their life. And so the groundwork that Paul's giving us here is kind of the framework for the right kind of attitude to be building into the body the church, people of Christ. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, bit. You've probably heard this erroneously. Maybe you haven't. You're very young. That some people get into heaven, they still smell like smoke. They just barely made it. Saved as through fire. They were on their way and they got singed a little bit and everybody can say, whoa, this guy barely made it. See that, if we're talking about the discipline of context, Paul is already very clear that these people are in Christ, that you and I are in Christ. And the burning and the smoke has nothing to do with our salvation or our right to go to heaven. To say that would be to impugn the work of Christ. You would have to say in some way, Christ's work was not sufficient. I just barely got here. Woo, smell like smoke. No, what Paul is saying very simply is when you work, when you give your life to God, when you're working, you, you build with precious building materials, and when the fire comes, it stands the test. The fire doesn't burn it away. If you build in the flesh, if you build according to the world system, if you build for your own pride, 
if you build without caring about the truth, if you build without being disciplined in the truth, it'll burn. It's like hay, wood, and stubble. Very simple. And you will suffer loss, not in your salvation, but your work could go up in flames. And so one of the things Paul is saying, listen, Corinthians, not only do you have some things to get squared away, but let me give you a principle as you're pledging yourself toward maturity. Let me just give you an example of what that means. Building into each other's lives is important. And you need to do it with the right attitude, and you need to do it with the truth of God. Mostly, you need to do it with the truth of God. Have your doctrine right. Have your understanding of the scriptures correct. That's where it starts. Verse 16, he goes off on a little more of an explanation. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anybody, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Very simple statements. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've already been given the mind of Christ, correct? Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? You know, when you're getting out of morning, getting up in the morning, you didn't, you didn't sleep well, nobody's making you breakfast, you go to a job you don't like, you don't feel like you have the mind of Christ. And so we go away from what we feel and we go to what's written. I have the mind of Christ. I can draw on the presence of Christ in my life to do what he's allowed to come into my life. We're also God's temple. If we're God's temple individually, how much more are we the temple of God corporately, together? And when Paul says, anybody messes with God's temple, God will destroy him. Do you think the context allows that to mean Christians? The answer is no. What Paul's got to be talking about here is people that are in the church, unbelievers, people from the outside, messing with the church. And we've all seen it. We've seen it in other churches. Sometimes we see it in our own church. And God says, this is very special. These people are very special to me. They are my abiding place. Mess with them, mess with me. It's not a happy thought. Balance of verse 17. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let's just talk about this just for a second. God's temple is holy. Sometimes Bible words kind of go zipping by. But how about this? You, as God's temple, are set apart. You're set apart from worldly use to divine use. Even when you go to work, you go to school. When you're doing stuff for fun or when you're doing stuff you don't like. When you're living real life. You are set apart. You're not part of the, whole, the world system. You are the temple of God. Verse 18, don't let anybody deceive himself. If anyone thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. The wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, he says, the Lord knows the thought of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. 
Do you ever get the picture or do you ever get the feeling in your mind that our world has gone crazy? That good's become bad and bad's become good. And what was true is not a lie. And what was a lie is now true. That is a part of the world system. We're not to be surprised by it. We're not to be frightened by it. We're not certainly not to be enticed by it. Because we are in Christ. Verse 20. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are foolishness, futile. They don't bear fruit. So let no one boast in men. And then he makes this statement. He says, all things are yours. Whether it's Paul. So here is the church in Corinth saying, I follow Paul. Someone else says, well, I follow Apollos. Oh, no. No, no, no. I follow Jesus. I follow Peter. And Paul is saying here, right there, you've got it backwards. You don't belong to Paul. You don't belong to Apollos. Apollos belongs to you. Paul belongs to you. Cephas, Peter, belongs to you. I've put them in your lives for my sake. And then he goes on and he makes another outrageous statement. All things are yours. Let's make sure we know who he's writing to. Christian people that are truly born again, that are struggling getting life right. And he says, we've been talking about Paul, we've been talking about this, and what I've tried to say in a very clear illustration is that we work together. We are co-laborers, you and I, Paul, Apollos, we're co-laborers working in God's field, working on God's building. For all things are yours, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas, and then he just can't stop. All things are yours. The world, life or death, the present, the future, all the things that we care about, all the things that pull on our minds, that cause us grief, that may cause, cause us to be anxious. He just says, everything is yours. All the promises that God has made are yes in Jesus Christ. And these people such as they are, and the reason that I love it is because if these promises are good for them, they're good for me. I'm not exactly the perfect specimen. I can relate to these people. They fail. They have wrong attitudes. I understand that. And what I need is I need a Savior who has me secure beyond my own ability to perform. And when I get it straight in my mind that I'm in him beyond what I can do, something strange happens and I want to serve him like never before. It's completely backwards. If threatening us works, we could have kept the law. But it doesn't work. And so remember, God had this secret. He had a mystery. We're going to be free from sin. We're going to be forgiven. He's got good news 
Everything you've ever done can be forgiven and you're going to live with me forever. That's good news. That's what's available by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. The life that we're supposed to live comes as a result of our heart and our soul being transformed and spilling out into behavior modification. But I just don't know how you can say it any more powerfully. Everything's yours. You are Christ, and Christ is in God. Pretty tough package. Pretty secure. So I've been trying to think in the context of the place where we really live, what kind of advice, what kind of focus we could take that'll take us in the right direction. First of all, I need to say, haven't said it enough, I love being a part of Trinity Church. Trinity Church is not filled with perfect people. I'm there. But Trinity Church, as a direction from the top to the bottom, is focused on the clear authority of the Word of God. They don't use the Word of God to manipulate us and get us to do what they want us to do. They're speaking for God on our behalf under His direction. I just think we need to thank God for that. Praise God for the teachers from top to bottom, men and women, who are devoted to one thing, and that's uncovering the truth of God in its context so that we can look at it and say, yes, that's true. I believe that. I'll obey that. It's a wonderful place to be. So this is what I'd like to do for kind of a wrap-up, particularly in the context of what it means for us in a very real way to get along supernaturally as members of Christ's body contributing to each other's life. The first thing I've always said, I'll say it one more time and then we'll move on. The very fact that Paul talks about this Christ and one to service. If you're in Christ... You've been gifted, you've been qualified, and you're called to service. It's a sweet thing. Back to what I was starting to talk about. I was able to go to a conference at Grace Church a couple of weeks ago, uh, Puritan's Conference, and a couple of lectures at CBU. It's pretty sweet. I don't know what was better. We sat around breakfast, lunch, and dinner discussing what was said. And the fellowship was at least as good as the speakers. And the speakers were great. And so John Piper's talking, and he said something that I took in a different way than I've ever taken. Now, we know that we're to love the brothers. Not only are we to love the brothers, but we're to love those in the world. Everybody that we run into is created in the image of God and therefore needs to be respected. And as Christian people, we should have a heart of love, a dispensation of love toward them. Now, my definition of love, particularly during the 60s and 70s, well, not the 60s, I I wasn't thinking straight. Jump ahead to the 70s. And love, this is really romantic. You may want to take notes. 
Love is a contractual commitment to your betterment and well-being, particularly in the case of your walk with God. It's not too warm and fuzzy, is it? That's never going to make it on a Hallmark card. But it's a discipline. And under God, I'm asking him daily, daily, Lord, let me think less of myself and teach me what it it is to love people. To walk into a room, instead of a scowl, a smile. Instead of a spirit of, you've messed my life up and you're going to pay. I mean, not that that ever happens. But you understand what I'm saying? You walk in with a commitment to love. I love Augustine. One of his sayings is one of my favorites. He said, Lord, ask what you will, but give what you ask. Ask whatever you want from me, and then supply the power to get it done. So John Piper was speaking on love, and he introduced a little bit of a twist, and uh, the Spirit really stirred my heart. He said, we need to, love is wonderful, but our love needs to be characterized by affection. That's a game changer. You see, I can be disciplined and love you because it's commanded. And I may be able to get away with that. But when you say stand, you need to have affection. Your love needs to be filled with affection for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to have affection for those people that are around you every day. It needs to be a real part of your expression. The problem that they were having in Corinth would disappear. Because instead of thinking about myself, I'm turning the corner and I'm thinking about you. And I felt like John gave me a handle, something I could hang on to. And so I just say, Lord, I'm just like Augustine, kind of. Ask me what you will, but you're going to have to supply it. To be honest with you, Lord, I want to have affection for people around you because I know that's the expression of Christ in this world. But I cannot do that on my own. You're going to need to change my heart. You're going to need to call me to yourself in a way that's new and different and keep calling me. And so that's where I'd like to leave our thinking. We're talking about getting along in the family, working in a vineyard, working in a field, working on a house. Those are great examples. But the to-do, the thing I'd like us to do together is say, Lord, as a prerequisite to me dealing with these precious people that belong to you, that are my brothers and my sisters, I want you to lead me into affection. Give me the grace to set myself aside. I don't want to do it. I'm selfish. Help me set myself aside and be an instrument in your hand, loving with affection those around me. Let me say a prayer. Father, none of these things that we're talking about are possible without the regenerating spiritual change brought about when we are in Christ. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Forgive me for how long it takes to figure that out. 
And I just pray that as a family here on on Willow Avenue, that we will be characterized by people that long to have Jesus Christ living in and through our lives in a very practical way. Help us to care care for each other with the view to supporting us, to supporting each other to have that kind of an attitude. But specifically, I'm asking for myself and I'm asking for my dear brothers and sisters here do a work in our heart and give us a love that's characterized by a genuine affection for those around us, especially the household of God. We commit ourselves to you and we look forward to see you working in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. And if you're interested in a great Bible college here in the area, check out calchristiancollege.edu. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.